This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. My name is uh, Judah, as Matthew said, and it's great to be here. My wife, Rachel, couldn't be here today, but she sends her love. And we have two children, Jack, who is seven, Sophia, who is 14, and we love them both lots. And today, um, I have two words for you. Be still. Be still. Uh, I recently, or a while ago, heard a story of a man and what happened to him in the Second World War. This man was part of a regiment that would jump out of planes into enemy territory. And this man jumped out of a plane with his regiment into enemy territory. He dropped down into France, into occupied territory, and they ended up landing in the grounds of a chateau. And the chateau was where the generals of the German army were based. Their landing in this chateau caused noise and all of a sudden the lights of the chateau went on and the guy with his regiment panicked. They uh, froze and they were like, what do we do? Uh, People were coming out of the door with guns. There were dogs barking, lights glaring. And this man decided to run and stand by the wall of the chateau still. Everyone else, all of his friends, his regiment, they ran. They ran and through the night, one by one, every single one of his friends were killed. The next morning at 5, 6 a.m., this man who'd been stood still by the wall of the chateau was able to quietly escape. He went through the village and he eventually made it back home to England. All his friends died. He was the only survivor. He survived because he understood the power of being still. In Psalm 46 verse uh, 10, it says this. um, You'll see on the screen. Thank you. Um, Be still and know that I am God. There is an ability for you to find peace, freedom, for you to experience and know God when you understand the power of being still. Today I'm going to talk through three um, passages in the Bible and I have one simple point, be still. Number one, um, a number of years ago, I got to preach in a homeless hostel in Liverpool. Rach and I um, work a lot with the homeless, and one day our friends, they got us to come along to this house where loads of homeless people, addicts, ex-addicts all lived and I went downstairs in this grotty big old Victorian house and there was food on the side just kind of like mush and mash and stew and um, then after eating together with 15 or 20 homeless guys I had the privilege of sharing the simple gospel. Jesus loves you 
And he came and he died on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And right now, you can turn away from living life in your own way. And you can find hope, strength, eternal life. And receive forgiveness for your sin if you put your trust in Jesus. And in that room, in the basement of a big old Victorian house, at least 15 homeless people put their hands up and gave their lives to Jesus. Amazing, really exciting. But it didn't start with the evangelist who got to go in and kind of do that final piece of the puzzle. It started a couple of years earlier with a woman who was depressed. This woman, she was depressed and she was a cleaner in the church of a friend of ours, a guy called Owen Rowlands, who some of you may remember. She was a cleaner and she was depressed and she'd gone to the doctors and and she'd been given medication and she'd um, been told, uh, take this and do this and nothing worked. She couldn't get rid of her depression. She one day saw Owen, the pastor of this church, and she said, Owen, this is what's going on. I'm depressed. And Owen, who's an incredible pastor, gave her this advice that she'd never heard before. This is what Owen said. He said, stop. For six months, do nothing. Just rest. She followed that advice and after six months she was completely free from depression. She was completely healed because she'd just stopped. She'd taken the time to just sit and rest. She then, after six months, came along to an event called VIP that my wife and I run where we feed and love and honour the homeless. And at that event she caught a heart for the homeless. A few weeks later she rang the... Uh, Victorian house and said hey I want to come and volunteer and for months every week her and her husband would go and just take food and sit with the homeless and then after months of doing that she said hey Judah would you come and just share the gospel 15 people were saved because of a woman who was depressed realized I just need to stop and be still There's a story in John chapter 4, it'll be on the screen, of a woman and uh, she meets Jesus at a well and a whole village is transformed. There's revival in a village, the whole village is transformed, it's amazing, all these people come to the well and um, experience, encounter Jesus. But the incredible thing about a village that sees a little mini revival is it started when Jesus The son of God, God Almighty, was willing to realize, I am tired. And then Jesus sat down. And I found it really interesting that from sitting down because of tiredness, we see a village transformed. I believe that God wants to see incredible salvation. Uh, He wants to see incredible things happen In the city of Coventry and beyond. But maybe it starts with being still. What does that look like? What does it look like to sit down? Um, A few, I can't actually get on this because it's so high. I'll try. Um, Do you know I'm going to use this chair instead? (laughs) It's the the beauty of being short. Um, A few years ago, um, I ended up... um, being in a place where I was sat down. After, at the time, 15 
years of church leadership and ministry, I was tired. But this is what I want to say. It wasn't a physical tiredness. It was a mental tiredness. Many of us were not tired necessarily physically. We're emotionally and mentally tired. And that's where I found myself. And I was sat down in the room of a counsellor. A Christian counsellor. And as I sat there, just like I am now, I remember sat in this guy's office and all I felt was shame, guilt, failure. I meant to be a pastor, I meant to be leading people to Jesus. And here I am, feeling hopeless, feeling vulnerable, thinking this guy's going to think, what a failure. But the amazing thing is that as I sat there, the counsellor came and sat opposite me and said these simple words. He said, Judah, he said, normally when pastors come into this room, they actually choose that seat. So you're in the right seat. And in that moment, I was like, phew, I'm not the only leader who needs a place to talk, a space to be real. And for me, the ability to talk, it brought rest in my mind and it brought peace and it gave me the strength to carry on. Loving and leading people to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was on the motorway up to a place called Bolton. Um, I'm from Manchester. I can't do the Bolton accent. I'm not Peter Kay. Um, but on the way to Bolton, I remember specifically, even the point I was on the motorway, saying this to God. Holy Spirit, help. Holy Spirit, help. The reason I prayed that was because in my mind, I was aware that I was struggling with communication. Struggling with how I interact with people one-on-one. -on -one. I hate conflict. And I, even a few weeks ago, was finding that whenever I had to kind of uh, deal with conflict one-on-one, -on -one, I had all this anxiety and it was struggling. I was struggling. And so I just remember praying on the way to Bolton, Holy Spirit, help in Bolton I got the privilege to hear someone open the Bible and begin to teach and he said these words as this uh, preacher began to speak today God has told me to speak on communication and after an hour I was completely free as I sat under the word of God it was as if the Holy Spirit helped me through the word of God in John chapter 14, Jesus, he tells us he will send the Holy Spirit. Why? To be our helper. How? Through teaching us through the word of God. Whether we need to come to the word of God, whether we need to find someone, a friend, a church fellow member to talk to, the important thing to realise is that A, we're willing to get to a place where we're honest and we say, I am weary and I am tired. But secondly, to realise, you may come to the Bible, you may go and speak to a person you trust, but beyond and behind that, you're actually coming to Jesus. Jesus gives us an invitation, come to me. Who? All who are weary. Your weariness qualifies you to come and be still and sit with Jesus. Through the word, through talking and being real and honest. 
But it's in this place of stillness that we begin to recover and find the strength to do all that God's called us to do. Number two. Uh, number two. For me, I am a Man United supporter. And my kids support Liverpool. And so that's a problem. I feel like the uh, prodigal father waiting for his children uh, to come home. And um, I remember, um, I believe, another Liverpool supporter, Roger Aubrey. Um, and one day talking to him. And again, I was sat in his office. And the year was 2003. I was on Bible school in Cardiff and I had the privilege of spending some time in his office. I was on Bible school. I'd been chosen to go to Bible school because apparently I had a passion for the lost and evangelism and they wanted to equip me in the Bible. And so I'm sat in Roger's office and I remember Roger saying, Judah, what are you going to do in in this time that you have in Cardiff? You've got a year here. What are you going to do? And I remember sat in Roger's office saying, Roger, I'm, I'm, we're going to do loads of evangelism. This year we're going to reach out into Cardiff. We're going to see the lost saved, the sick healed. It's going to be incredible. I was so excited. But the problem is, life happens. Because for me, I was engaged to Rachel. I had Bible school. And I just didn't have the time. I was up and down to Manchester constantly to see Rachel. And the year passed and I never did. All that stuff that I said I was going to do sat in Roger's office. And I remember years later, 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, whenever I would see Roger, I would have this sinking feeling. He'd probably forgotten. He'd moved on. He probably had never remembered the conversation, but I did. I always remember feeling guilty that I'd never done all that stuff. That stuff that, if I'm being honest, I'd felt God had inspired me. It was a prophetic. This is what's going to happen on the streets of Cardiff. Years went by and Rachel and I were being faithful in taking teams out onto the streets in Liverpool and we began a conference called Jesus Loves and in 2016 God laid it on the heart of a group of people from Cardiff from a church in Cardiff to come to Liverpool where we did training and we took them out onto the streets and this group from Cardiff were changed and inspired and they were seeing people on the streets giving their lives to Jesus a few years later they came to me and said Judah God's put it on our hearts to copy what you do in Liverpool in Cardiff in 2019 I got to stand on the stage and be presented with a a lamp a Welsh mining lamp as this room full of hundreds of people were saying thank you Judah and Rachel that through your inspiration we've now started a conference called Arise where we're going to equip train people and send them out onto the streets and now every year hundred including last year hundreds of people are going out onto the streets and they are seeing incredible miracles salvation in Cardiff Around the area where I'd felt, God, I want to see you move in Cardiff. What did that teach me? You don't need to feel shame or guilt when God puts it on your heart to reach your community or your area. We need to step back and just trust God. 
trust God. In Acts chapter 2, as we see on the screen, there's a group of um, believers and they had been told, be still, don't go anywhere, wait, wait in the upper room until you receive power and then go. I look at right now the worldwide church, the impact that the church has had for 2,000 years and it's incredible to think that it began by a group of people that began by being still, waiting. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that 380 people who had been told by Jesus to wait and be still didn't. They didn't want to stay still. They left and only 120 remained still, waiting for the strength they needed to do all that God had told them. The upper room teaches me a couple of things. Number one, waiting isn't passive. Waiting is an active trust in what Jesus has said. Jesus said, you will see incredible things in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus had spoken. Their job was to be still and just trust in the words of Jesus. Number two, it was a place of prayer. Sometimes we might feel powerless. We might think, gosh, I've got my job and my family and my uh, commitment to this, that, and the other. How am I going to see Coventry saved? But in the upper room, they could pray. They could pray. That's a sense of not being passive, but being active. I trust God and I'll pray. And then God, in his grace, will fill the room. And the interesting thing is that I wonder whether when the Holy Spirit came, some of the disciples would have remembered that verse, to be still, because they'd been still. They'd waited, and then you will know. And they would have had an awareness of the love of God. They would have had an awareness of the presence of God. They would have had an awareness through the Holy Spirit of the awesomeness of God because they'd been willing to wait. Uh, number three. Number three. Um, when Rachel and I first moved to Liverpool, we um, began, I began a little discipleship group for guys. And being a guy, I was like, this has got to be hardcore because um, I'm fed up of these students who get up at 10 a.m. And I go around to the house at 11 to see how they're doing. And they're like, I'm knocking on the door at 11 a.m. No answer. They're still asleep. I'm like, what's going on? And so I, like, I thought something needs to change. And so I started a guy's discipleship group at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. I was like, I'm fed up of this. I'm not having this anymore. You might be a student, but you're a guy. You need training for marriage and real life. 6 a.m. I'd get five to ten guys, students, in a room. And one day I said, right, get in a car. We're all going to the Echo Arena. And we're going to just stand there and see what God is saying. And so at half six, these guys with sleep in their eyes that really didn't want to be there, were all stood outside of the Echo Arena. And as we're all stood there, 
we all noticed a bench outside of the Echo Arena and we sat down and for those that had not gone to sleep till 2am they were relieved to sit down and as we all sat down we became aware of a sense that God was speaking and I became aware of just a crowd of people leaving the arena and there was one name on their lips and it was the name of Jesus and I had a sense of grace it was as if God wanted to fill that place with thousands of people but it would be his work done in his time and there would be no stress it would be what he would want to do years passed and I forgot about that vision and a guy uh, joined our church called Reuben Morley and Reuben uh, began to grow in a passion for evangelism and he'd uh, come with us on the streets and he eventually got employed by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and a few years ago, Reuben, who had begun to network with lots of church leaders, Reuben said, hey, Judah, can I go for a coffee with you? And my friend from America called Rod is going to join us. And I said, yeah, great, free coffee. I'll be there. We got to Starbucks and this guy, Rod, says, Judah, we're meeting with a few local pastors because we, as the Billy Graham Association, we want to fill that arena. I was like, amazing. How much is it going to cost to all the local churches? nothing how much work is it going to be it's going to be a lot but don't worry we will build a team employ them and we will make it happen I was like amazing through trial through being all over the newspapers through lockdown eventually last summer that event happened and thousands of people filled that arena I was privileged beforehand to pray with Franklin along with a few pastors and shake his hand and pray for the message he was going to bring. The event happened and it finished and the incredible thing for me was walking out of that arena with my seven-year-old boy Jack and as a family with my wife and my daughter Sophia we were talking about Jesus because Jack in that room gave his life to Jesus he gave his life to Jesus and it's a moment I'll never forget in fact the crazy thing is that half of the time Franklin was speaking Jack was sat there and I'm thinking looking over as a parent would is he even listening I'm thinking is Jack understanding is he listening and then at the front at the end Franklin simply said if right now you want to repent of your sin trust in Jesus trust and know that salvation the life that Jesus has for you I want you to put your hand up and I want you to repeat this prayer and my little boy began to say Jesus I'm sorry for my sin thank you for dying on the cross for me come into my life I receive you as my Lord and Savior Jack prayed that prayer Afterwards, Rach rushed him to the uh, ministry room where he got some uh, resources and a free book of John or whatever they gave away. And a few months later, Reuben told uh, Billy Graham uh, Association that story. And so they contacted me and said, hey, can we uh, do a little story about how your son responded to the gospel at that event? And recently I was reminded of the vision I'd had with the boys discipleship group. And I was reminded that, wow. God will provide the resources, the provision, 
the ability for what he wants to happen in and through our lives. There's a picture behind of a famous statue and it's a statue that was produced by Michelangelo and it's a statue called David. Has anyone seen this statue? You've seen pictures of it. I've never been in real life. We were in Italy last year, but never seen it in real life. This statue at the time was controversial. When Michelangelo developed, designed, and made this statue, it's controversial because at the time, pictures, art, statues were generally produced in the 15th century, whenever it was, were produced depicting war, depicting kind of fight scenes, depicting um, even Bible stories, but very often people at war. It was about showing the epic battles and depicting through art the incredible scenes of death and destruction and heroes and villains. And yet this was different. It was just David, vulnerable, naked. And the point that this uh, statue is depicting is um, at the place where David is about to face Goliath. And here, David doesn't have any armour on. He, he is um, just with, in his hand, holding a stone. Vulnerable with just a stone. I often think about that moment when David faced Goliath. And we're often told the reason David faced Goliath was because David had been faithful with the lion and the bear. Just be faithful. Then you'll have the strength to fight Goliath. But I think there's more to it than that. In fact, I think Psalm 23 tells us how David was able to face Goliath. Because in Psalm 23, if we read on, it says we go through the valley of death and then... In the presence of our enemies. In other words, at the point we face our enemies, there is a table of provision. All that we need to face our enemy. But how do we get provision in the presence of our enemies? If we go to the start of Psalm 23, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see, when David faced the problem of Goliath... David was able to go on the inside because we can't always lie down at work. I'm a school teacher. Sorry, kids, I'm just going to lie down on the floor. Might be a little bit problematic, but we can be at rest on the inside. But there are times when we can physically lie down. David was a shepherd and he would often be out at night in the fields away from light pollution. And when you lie down, I've been to Israel and it's a beautiful place. And when you lie down, particularly at night, you become aware of all the stars. You become aware of how vast God is. You become aware of the magnitude and the beauty and the splendor and the awesomeness of who God is. And so for David, in a place of rest, he was more aware of his God than he was of his Goliath. He was more aware of how awesome, majestic God was than the problem in front of him. 
And through the years, there have been so many people, and I've been focused on their problems. I'm thinking, well, that person, they've been through trauma, and they've said to me, they never want to set foot in a church again. Because of what they've been through. And I'm thinking that's a problem. And when I focus on the problem, nothing seems to happen. But sometimes we need to step back. When we have someone at school who's like, hey, do you go to church? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm an atheist. Problem. What do we do when we have neighbours that we're meant to love? Because we know it all starts loving the city of Coventry with loving our neighbour. And I'm thinking that neighbour doesn't even talk to me. Like they just kind of gently look away whenever I kind of go near them. That's a problem. How do we go about solving problems? It starts with coming back to being still, lying down and becoming more aware of who God is than the problem, the battle, the uh, enemy that we face. We need to learn to sit, rest, lie down and be still. Be still and know that God is God and he wants to do incredible things. He wants to break through problems. You know, I think that the Israelites would have been thinking and dreaming about a land of freedom, a land of peace, a land where there was no war. But in order to bring peace, stability and freedom, they had to get rid of the problem. And I believe that it's in rest that we get the provision. Jesus is our shepherd and it's when we lie down that we allow him to shepherd us, love us, uh, care for us. What does a shepherd do? Two things. He protects and he provides. Provides grass to eat, protects from wolves and lions and it's in a place where we lie down that we know the fresh provision of God so that we have the tools we need. When David faced Goliath, he had the tools in order to defeat Goliath. God wants to give you fresh tools, whether it's words of knowledge, whether it's the gift of hospitality, whether it's teaching, whatever Holy Spirit gift that God wants you to have in order to love and lead people to Jesus. It begins by just coming to Jesus, being in a place of rest where he can then give you all that we need to see villages changed, to see our children uh, get born again. Um, I want to finish by going back to the story of the soldier um, you'll see him there on the left that survived the um, attack in France. That man uh, called William Barrett, he grew up and uh, on the right you'll see him grown up, uh, an older man and in the 50s uh, he uh, sent his child to a local kids club that was run by a church. This was just a working class guy, he uh, it was just normal. He smoked, drank, just had a normal working class job. He wasn't a Christian, never been to church. Sent his daughter to a kids club. She one day invited this guy with his wife to the kids club where he gave his life to Jesus. 
over time, this guy's entire family became Christians. This guy, in fact, began to read the Bible and see that miracles were for today. And the crazy thing was, in the 50s, he didn't know any better. And so, in the hut at the end of their garden, a guy, lady, Simon an older lady in a wheelchair came in. Oh and this Lord, guy prayed for the lady, and she came out of a wheelchair. Culture. And that began a church plant a church that's still going today. Over the years, many people became Christians and this guy hosted crusades in Paris and uh, through America because some guy from Granada TV came and uh, got led to walk into this uh, church that had now grown and basically... Granada TV uh, were like, this is incredible, we're going to do a documentary that opened doors for this guy to travel all over Europe and into America. That guy had a daughter called Chris, she married a guy called Alan, and they are my parents. They are my family. That's my grandpa, Bill Barrett. I am here all of that fruit is because of the power of him standing still. Just standing still. And as we stand still, God doesn't just save us, but he refreshes us and he can produce fruit in our life. Some of us are tired. I know this last year for me has been the hardest ever in ministry and I felt so tired at times. And I think, gosh, I'm tired Saving a village, seeing fruit, revival, that's just, I'm struggling to get out of bed. We need to just stop. Stop performing, stop trying in our strength to, when we have the time to think about, how am I going to change Coventry? We need to stop and just be still. Come to Jesus, all who are weary. Be still, because then when he takes over, he can do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that right now there is an invitation to come. Come and just be still. To lie down, sit down, wait in your presence. For us to open up the word of God, to Sometimes open up our mouth and as we talk, as we meditate, as we are in your presence, as we lie down and just begin to look at you once again rather than our problem. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you want to fill us, refuel us, restore us, refresh us. And God, I thank you that lying down is a vulnerable place to be in. Because sometimes it can feel like accepting defeat. It can feel like I failed. It can feel like, gosh, I just didn't do what I wanted to do. But God, I thank you that sitting down and being still in a sense, it's coming to the end of ourselves in order that you can take over so that you alone get all the glory. I thank you that it's in a place of stillness that we hear the still, quiet voice, the voice of Jesus, our shepherd, providing us with all we need, protecting us from the past and preparing us 
for what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help every one of us to think what does it look like to be still right now in this season of my life. And God, I pray that just as Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, I've got a mission for you, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, I pray where our hope has died, where we failed, where we felt like uh, we just have not had the strength to do what we've wanted to do, I pray that uh, as we come and just stop and we are still in your presence, that we'd find mercy freedom from condemnation we'd find your grace and that we'd be reminded that actually God you want to use us that you have good plans for us that you in your presence want to give us your strategy your provision you want to fill us with uh, your word of what is possible When we move and operate from a place of stillness, which is a place of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you use the messed up people that are simply so willing to just stop and say, I can't do this. I surrender, but I'm available. Use me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.